Hello friends, freaks, nerds, and geeks, all those of you unabashedly burning in the ephemeral flames of existence right alongside me. I'm your host, Jay Van Veen, and you're listening to Why Did You Make Me Read This, your weekly comic book podcast. I don't know if this is anything you can relate to. Maybe it doesn't matter. Look, I've been reading comics since before I could read, right? I mean, I was thumbing through the pages of some Archie comics and some Marvel shit since before I could make sense of any of the words. Kelvin and Hobbes and Garfield were in there too. Right when my consciousness came on board, I was already hitting those funny books. They've been a part of my life since I can remember remembering. And for better or for worse, I'm a nostalgic guy. I look back at yesteryear with heavy sighs and wet eyes, not because I want to return to them, but because a lot of those times were just plain magic in my mind. And maybe we could dissect this. Maybe some psychoanalyzation of how a deep yearning for things past is inextricably tied to the denial of the present and a rejection of the growth and responsibility necessitated to come to fruition as a functioning adult. Sure, we could do that. But maybe, maybe some things just kick ass. And maybe some things just transcend the developmental stages of life and run a straight line of fucking badassery like a laser beam blasting through the space-time continuum. Am I making any sense? I've had a few bourbons at this point. Look, what I'm trying to say is that there are a few comics that I got my hands on during my childhood that form deep impressions that still resonate in my mind or my soul or whatever the hell that ethereal sense of subjective self is that we all possess. And I still reread these comics on a regular basis. And occasionally they can still elicit that profound sense of wonder that they did when I was a kid. I mean, the intensity level is most definitely dialed down. The violence and death depicted doesn't create that deep sense of confusion and fear that it did when I was a kid. But I suppose those initial interactions with the more brutal aspects of reality lose their impact over the years as you encounter them in reality as opposed to fiction. But I'll tell you, as a kid, under the age of 10, staying up past my bedtime and reading some of these comics under my blanket with this little clip light I had that I could pull off my bedpost, I just went to different realities, man. We're going to start talking about Wolverine soon, I promise. And hey, maybe I'm being lacrimose or sentimental or whatever the fuck. I accept that. But maybe... There's just some wild-ass comics written by some creative and weird people back in the day, and that's why these things lit such a spark with so many people in my generation. Either way, this is a single issue of comics I'm covering today. It's one I got back when I was seven or eight years old or so. It's one full of monsters and mutants and war and darkness. It's a comic book that's stuck with me my entire life. Issue 34, The Hunter in Darkness. Written by Larry Hama. Pencils by Mark Silvestri. Inks by Dan Green. Letters by Pat Brosseau. And colors by Glennis Oliver. When it comes to Wolverine, Larry Hama is the man. I mean, 
Chris Claremont was so instrumental in developing the character, but what a lot of people think about when they think about Wolverine, certainly a lot of what I think about, is due thanks to Larry Hama. The dude left an indelible mark on comics in general, but largely it's thanks to him that Wolverine is the weird, grizzled, complex, and badass character that we know and love. In the story we're talking about today, we find Wolverine in his natural habitat. And you know what? He's not even Wolverine here, really. He's Logan. His mutton chops running wild off the sides of his face, his hair spiked up on either side, creating these distinct decorative spikes with his thick mane of black hair, his muscles bulging and wrapped around his diminutive frame, body covered in a patchwork of hair that's borderline fur. This comic opens up with the mighty mutant buck naked in the bitter cold waters of the great white north as Wolverine is using his claws to spearfish while taking sabbatical in the white winter of his home country, Canada. That's right, kids. Wolverine is canonically Canadian. Boo! Just kidding. If I want dinner, Wolverine narrates, I gotta kill it myself. At this point in his timeline, Logan still has a lot of unknowns when it comes to his history. More blanks than solid memory, more questions than answers, a million miles more of anger than anything approximating peace. His solo series, at least in the early 90s, was a lot of soul-searching for the man, looking for any piece of the unending puzzle that was his hundred years of history. Logan sits down to enjoy the uncooked fish that is his dinner, and has his raw, naked winter wilderness repast interrupted by a few members of the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And if you want to know anything about them, you're going to have to Google it, because I don't know shit. Well, these boys are here for a few reasons. To keep us grounded in the real world as things start to get more wild. To establish a fun rookie veteran dynamic. To round out the roster of this sparsely populated story and to generate a link to Wolverine's mysterious past. But more on that later. What are these Mounties doing out in this frozen, forsaken neck of the woods? Well, they're searching for an escaped convict that shot his way out of his own murder trial and escaped to murder almost an entire family as he stole their jeep, keeping only the young teenage daughter alive so he could have a hostage as he lambed it. Athabasca Ike is on the loose, and I'm just going to say his full name one more time for good measure. Athabasca Ike. Hell, let's make it three times. Athabasca Ike. That's one hell of a moniker. This sack of Canadian dog shit is running wild in these here hills, and these boys are on the hunt to bring him to justice and to save the young girl he took. And as these Mounties are talking to Wolverine, the wind shifts, and Wolverine's mutant sense of smell picks up the scent and he tells the Mounties he can lead them to the convict and the kidnapped victim. You Blackfoot? Some kind of breed? Asks the older Mountie. And I don't know exactly what that last sentence means, but I'm going to go ahead and assume it's racist. Huh. Wish I knew. Responds Logan. Reminding us that he's here looking for answers, but still willing to do the right thing. The right thing in this situation being bringing this killer to justice and helping free this poor young girl. So, 
these Mounties agree to let this complete stranger they just found buck naked eating raw fish in the middle of the frozen woods lead them through the snow-capped outback and why the hell not? They could use the help. And the only real concern that the grizzled old veteran expresses is that the darkness is encroaching. And more so than just the darkness is the hunter in the darkness that prowls these woods on moonless nights. And before we move on, I want to talk a little bit about the artwork of Mark Silvestri. He was one of those seven artists that left the two big comic companies to form Image Comics back in the early 90s. He's another OG of the comic book world, gets a lot less fanfare than the author here, or even most of the other guys that formed Image, McFarlane, Lee, Liefeld, etc. I think his pencil work is really great. Almost every panel in this single issue explodes with background detail. The characters themselves look like something out of a throwback adventure book. Wolverine appears how he's supposed to. Short, thick with muscle, ridiculous hair, swarthy and rugged, a mean look on his Canadian mug. Plus, the featured creature in this book looks like something straight out of a horror flick. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself now. The art style in this book gives it a feel like it's something a bit older than out of the early 90s, and that's not a complaint or a put-down. Like I said, it feels more like an action-adventure comic from the 50s or something, but with a lot more flow and ease to the lines that doesn't make it look so rigid like comics of old often could. Back to the story, as it progresses, the veteran Mountie tells Wolverine and his young partner about the legend of the hunter in the darkness, and even his encounter with it. One moonless night, he fired a shot into a giant creature holding a bear trap as it walked through the woods, and it didn't stop. It just kept on marching along, leaving nothing but a blood trail in the white snow behind as it did. His young partner is skeptical of the legend of this giant monster out there in the woods, and Wolverine now wearing jeans and a flannel shirt, is just laying horizontal in the back seat, trying to get 40 winks in. Interspliced is also panels of Athabasca Ike marching through the snow, lambing it across Canada with a teenage girl he kidnapped. He speaks with a phonetic accent that I'm honestly not sure what the hell it's supposed to be. Maybe he's French-Canadian? Old Ike sure get over on dim mounties, eh? I'm tink we get into that wilderness, didn't ever find us, eh? How you like that, girlie? I don't know. Sounds more Cajun than Canadian to me, like how Gambit talks. They both have French roots, so maybe I honestly have no idea, and it really doesn't matter. It's here that old Ike realizes the Mounties are chasing him, so he pulls out his high-powered rifle and scopes the Mountie, driving the Jeep. As the younger Mountie is driving, he's giving a little unrequested history on the Hunter in the Darkness. You see, that name, it's actually derived from a Blackfoot, that being the indigenous American people's tribe, name for the creature they call He Who Stalks on Moonless Nights. And that legend came from an even older legend from the Assiniboine people. And then a shot snaps through the cold air and a bullet is sent through the chest of this rookie, which continues through him and then through his chair and then into the back seat through Logan's leg and then into the bottom of the jeep. Must be a powerful gun. The jeep careens off the road and slams into some boulders, and Logan pulls the older Mountie out of the car before it explodes, the rookie dead from the gunshot before they even went off-road. And I really dig this scene because it fills the comic with more than just action ramping up to the story's climax. The random insertion of the history of the indigenous people and their stories 
Honestly, if it wasn't for this comic, I'd never even have heard of the Assiniboine people. I fucking love it when comics teach me about stuff. It's a bonus. Plus, there's the death of the young, innocent rookie. Logan's healing factor kicking in to repair the bullet wound to his leg. The stakes being raised after they lose their jeep now stuck out in the winter wilderness. A madman with a gun looming in the distance taking shots at them. The possibility of a monster out in the woods that hunts them with the encroaching darkness. And the death of the young innocent man showing us that there is the possibility of the most severe consequence. High power rifle above us. 30-06. Setting suns behind the shooter. Wolverine says, analyzing the situation as he discreetly looks from out the boulder that they're holding up behind. Open country. Can't sneak up a Nike when he's got the light and can't see the track at night. Especially this night. No moon, says the Mountie. The old Mountie goes on to share a story about another night he remembers with no moon. And the story leaves the deep forest and enters into the memory of the man telling his tale. He was 18, jumping over Normandy in World War II. He was terrified, wishing he could be as bold and fierce as the corporal he was following into battle. But we quickly snap back to their reality as the sky turns a deep, dark blood red with the setting sun, and Logan emerges from the shadows wearing his brown and yellow wolverine costume. Which the Mountie just kinda takes in stride. You one of them superheroes? Yeah, what about it? Maybe that explains why your legs stopped bleeding. Maybe. The sun goes down, and the howling starts. There's something out in those woods, and it ain't no wolf. No, it ain't no wolf. And this is where this outback adventure riff turns into a straight-up horror story. The howls of the creature are getting closer, and before we know it, there's this panel of this giant monster standing on two legs, claws on its hands long and sharp like knives, saliva thick and pouring down as it exposes teeth in its mouth like a bear trap. A demon from the wilderness about to pounce down from above. Pure fucking nightmare fuel for one young J. Van Veen. Wolverine starts to mix it up with this big bad right away, howling for the Mountie to shoot the damn thing. But it's dark and the Mountie can't see, so he beams his flashlight, and we get the panel that most scared the shit out of me as a youngin'. Wolverine's head snapped back to look right at us, spit flying out of his mouth as he screams, Kill that light! Behind him, the giant head of the hunter in the darkness is illuminated from the shadows by the flashlight as the giant teeth it has bears down on Wolverine's arm. And Wolverine's not worried about the giant monster he's fighting. He knows what's going to happen if that flashlight stays on. It's going to make that Mountie an easy target for a man with a high ground and a high-powered rifle. And within seconds, a shot rings through the night and rips through the chest of the old Mountie. And you know... For all the cool Wolverine action and the scary hunter-in-the-darkness imagery, the next scene is the one that really stuck with me as a kid. This is the kind of storytelling that made me obsessed with comics. I can't pinpoint exactly why, I can just say it had a pretty powerful impact upon my young mind and stayed with me and resonates with me still even today. As the World War II veteran Old Mountie lie dying in the snow from a sucking chest wound created by a high-velocity bit of lead, Logan's words ring out to him. Kill that light. Where did I hear that before? Spoken with that same voice. The comic jumps back in time once again, and we find the Mountie back as an 18-year-old in Normandy. His parachute is stuck in a tree, 
and he's tangled in a web of equipment and lines and branches. He flicks his Zippo to generate some vision and immediately sees another man tangled in a tree close to him. It's his corporal, who's already chopping his lines with his combat knife. Kill that light, yells the corporal, but it's too late, because the Nazis have already seen their position. The comic goes back to real time and the story keeps unfolding, but I want to go on a little side tangent first. In the early 2000s, there started a series called Wolverine Origins that revealed a lot of the backstory of the character, stuff that had previously been a mystery to everyone, even the character himself. It pulled back the curtain to reveal some disappointing content, and worst of all, it undid the mystique of a character clouded in mystery. Really, it was just a mistake on Marvel's behalf. You can't really put that genie back in the bottle. This comic today is solid evidence for why it worked to have all that stuff kept secret. The whole first Wolverine series was a testament to the potential of slowly revealing bits of information and misinformation on just who this man might be. I had a few issues here and there. I had some buddies and they had a few issues there and here. We got to cross-examine the content of each other's books and discuss what we thought was happening, working together to build up the backstory being slowly revealed about this character. Was Sabretooth his dad? His brother? What happened with Maverick and Silver Fox on the CIA-backed Team X? How old was Logan? What happened to him through all those years? And this comic was a piece to that puzzle. Anyway... Back to the book. As the Mountie lie dying, he remembers while he was stuck up in that tree, the corporal was already down below and charging at the incoming Nazis with the same knife he'd used to cut himself free. A flare going off overhead lit the moonless night and exposed a gory scene of the corporal taking down a team of Germans with nothing but the blade. He was a demon, narrated the veteran, cutting down men like pigs on market day. The air under the flare was pink with blood, and the screaming. Lord, the screaming. That corporal, what was his name? Logan, the Mountie shouts out loud right as he dies. Wolverine runs over to the man, grabs his wrists, checks a pulse, and the last panel of this comic book is a close-up on Wolverine's face, the background completely black behind him. How did he know my name? questions Wolverine out loud. And that's it. One of the first comics I remember ever reading. Man, did it stick with me. The terror of the hunter in the darkness, the war story, finding out Logan was much older than we initially thought, but still not aging past the looks of a man of, say, 40 years old. The traumatizing sound effects of the scene when the hunter in the darkness kills Athabasca Ike. Ripping, cracking, popping, crunch, crunch, crunch. A scene made worse by my young imagination because it was just sound effects over a black panel of a moonless night. Yeah, Wolverine saves the girl and the villain dies. We all saw that coming. But there's also the death of the two Mounties who are just trying to rescue the girl and do the right thing. And the hunter in the darkness isn't seen again after it dispatches old Ike. It's an old school Marvel comic. Yeah, it's what I grew up on. It's not kid shit, though. The content of the story, the imagery, the unusual nature of the main character, it was formative for me. I was intrigued and made fearful by it. Just the cover alone brings back a flood of memories. I even remember the day I got it. A quiet summer evening spent alone in my room with the windows open, reading and rereading it as the sun went down. I've always loved Wolverine. This issue and a few others of his solo series are a big reason why. 
tough, interesting, badass, and weird in all the right ways. I am a nostalgic guy. Just my nature, I suppose. But if I'm nostalgic for some shit I can still read and enjoy almost 30 years after the fact, well, maybe that ain't such a bad thing. Why Did You Make Me Read This was written, recorded, and edited by me, Jay Van Veen. If you want to support the podcast, please share it on social media or give me a rating on whatever podcast app you use. Leave a comment on there as well. Music for the podcast was done by my good buddy, RJ Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Why Did You Comics or just search the name for the show on Facebook. I have a page there as well. I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to the show. Stay safe. Stay healthy, do some awesome shit, and as always, we'll see you next week. Thank you.